so Jesus goes over and he's praying. He's in agony. It says that his sweat drops were like blood falling on the ground. Has anybody ever sweated to the point that they were bleeding? I don't think so. Chip, you work out. Like, you haven't done that yet, right? Okay. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just not something that's normal. But um, Jesus was in such agony over what he had to do, over the burden that he was carrying for us, knowing he had to go to death on the cross. And so as he's praying, he's praying, he, he gets up, he comes back over to his disciples, and what does he find the disciples doing? Sleeping. They're sleeping. And uh, I could, you know, I, I kind of, I guess in my head, I, I humanize Jesus in a way that's probably a little too much like me. But he goes over, I, I could just see him going over and like kicking, you know, Peter. What are you doing? Come on, man. Look at this. I'm, I'm bleeding. I'm, I'm stressed here. Pray with me. Be awake. Be present. So I don't know if Jesus really kicked Peter. I'm, I'm joking. But, um, but he woke him. He said, hey, you know, hey, can you not just, just pray with me just for a, a little bit? And he goes away again, and he, and he goes to pray again. And he comes back, and what's he find him doing again? They're sleeping again. And uh, I was telling this story in a church a few years ago. And afterwards, um, it's never good when somebody comes up to you and goes, you know, I like that, but this guy came up to me and he gave me that, you know, he gave me the big but. Um, and he said, but I think that, that you got it all wrong. I think the disciples, they, were, they knew what was coming and they were, they were dealing with the stress of, of the things that, of, that were happening to them and to Jesus at the time. And I said, hey, I, I was like, I read that exactly the same way. I get it. I, I understand that. But Jesus asked them to be present. He asked them to pray. He, and it doesn't matter whether they were worn out. He was worn out and tired too. He wasn't doing anything that we couldn't do ourselves um, in, in being present and being in prayer. And so that scripture just absolutely just kind of punched me in the gut that night. Um, I felt so much like that that disciple that wants to say, you know what, Jesus is my BFF, and he's over there, like I can see him, he's praying, I know he's got it handled, I'm just going to lay down here, and I'm going to take a nap, because man, I'm tired, Jesus can handle it, because you know, he's the son of God, and all that, that's not what Jesus asks us to do as Christians, Jesus asks us to be present, he asks us to be involved, he asks us to be connected, and so that, that scripture that night, this song was a, was a song written just directly back at myself to don't be that way. Let's, let's not be asleep in the garden while Jesus is saving the world. He's asking you to be part of that. He's asking you to be present, to be interactive with those around you, to be into what he's doing. So this song is called Sleeping in the Garden, and it's just an encouragement to remember that Jesus is our BFF. But let's let's be involved in what he's doing. The hour is near. The time has come. For the man of sorrows, drink his cup. 
We gather here with the Holy One. We find a willing spirit's not enough. While we were sleeping in the garden, we were sleeping in the garden, sleeping in the garden of grace. kid um I'm, i was an art major in college if that kind of tells you where my brain is um i'm a creative thinker um, and as a kid that isn't always the best of things that uh, creativity can can be really great and it can also be really horrible um anybody that's a parent might has a creative kid you might know that uh, my parents definitely knew that um so i grew up my dad was a pastor and we lived in a little farmhouse beside the church in West Virginia, a little town with no stoplight. Um, one stoplight once I got into high school. And uh, just this little town, little farmhouse, and my brother and I shared a bedroom. And we had, we had 
tiny, tiny room, tiny house. So we had bunk beds to be able to fit both of us in the bedroom. So because I was the smallest, I had to be on the top. Um, my brother was a pretty big guy. I'm glad I was on the top. Would never want him to fall and squish me. But the the ceilings were low in this old house. And if, if anybody's ever been in an old, like a, like a truly old farmhouse, they have these um, old school tiles that they used to use. And they had these little, um, I don't know, they're not grommets, but little things at the corner, little circles at the corner that kind of held them in the ceiling. And so every night, my mom and dad would come in, they would tuck us into bed. And, you know, I was only like, a f- like maybe two feet, but a foot and a half from the ceiling. You know, I was just right up there by the ceiling. They would tuck me in, they'd say our prayers with us, and they'd go out and they'd turn off the light. And as soon as they'd turn off the light, one of those little circles would turn into an eyeball. And this eyeball would just stare at me. And if I'd moved to this side of the bed, it would follow me. And if I'd moved to this side of the bed, it would follow me. And there would be times where my mom and dad would come in to tuck us in and, and to put us to bed. And so what I would do is I was like, I'm going to be smarter than this eyeball, you know, this creepy thing. I'm going to shut my eyes before they turn the lights off. So mom and dad would come in, and they'd, they'd start to pray, and I'd shut my eyes, and I'd shut my eyes for the prayer, and they'd say good night, and I'd say good night, and, you know, reach around for the kiss wherever their lips were. And they tuck me in, they turn the lights out, and they go to bed. But, you know, as a kid, you can't keep your eyes shut. Is it there? Is it looking at me? I'd open up an eye, and there it would be looking at me. And every time, it would just scare me to death. And I'd yell, Mom, Dad. And I, and I know that um, there were probably conversations going on in my mom and dad's room, like, it's your turn. You go. Gosh, what is he doing? There's no eyeball. And if I was lucky, the more compassionate of the two, my mom, would come um, in and settle me down. And she would always, always, I can't tell you how many times she quoted the scripture out of Psalms where it says, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. And she would say, you know the maker of heaven and earth and his angels will protect you and watch over you. God loves you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. And it would settle me, and it would, it would bring peace to my heart, and I would be able to go to sleep, even with my crazy imagination running wild. And so this song um, speaks to that. When we have things, um, obviously as adults, we don't have eyeballs in the ceiling looking at us. We have real-life things that scare us. We have real-life things that make our life um, fretful, that make us cry out. And as adults, we can't necessarily cry out to our parents the way that we used to as kids, but we can cry out to God because we know the maker of the storms that we go through in our life. And this song is called Nothing to Fear. Daddy, Daddy, I'm so scared Hear the thunder on the moon And I am running to the safety of your arms Though the lightning's coming soon And the storm is rolling in 
with a vengeance that leaves here again just so I can hear you say you've got nothing to fear you've got nothing to that way you've got nothing no you've got nothing no no you've got nothing to fear the rain is falling I hear it in my ear from a blue sky up above Storms are different here in my older years It's not from thunder that I run When the storm is rolling in With a vengeance that leads me here again so I can hear you say, you got nothing to fear, you got nothing to fear, when you know the one who made the storm that way, you got nothing, no, you got nothing, no, no, you got nothing. Jesus, maker of the storm, rock of ages where I hide. Be my shelter here in the darkest night, when the storm is raging wild. You've got nothing You've got nothing to fear When you know the one who made the storm that way You've got nothing, no You've got nothing, no, no You've got nothing to This, uh, this next song is a song called Come Lord Jesus. I don't have a big story going towards this, but um, it, it just is a, is a call out to, to God um, where we can feel like such failures all the time. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a day or you've been a Christian for um, 50 years. We just, we have to call out to God, and we have to ask him to rescue us all the time. Um, I said I didn't have a story, but I'm going to share a story. One just popped in my mind. 
Um, there was a lady that I grew up in church with. Her name was Ora Mae Poling. That just conjures images, doesn't it? That name, Ora Mae Poling. Um, she was a, my version of, I've never met Mother Teresa, but I feel like that's Ora Mae. She was a saint. She was, um, when she died in her, in her mid-90s, um, she, if she could have learned, taught herself or learned to play the electric guitar at 90 years old, if she thought it would bring people into church and, and lead them to Christ, she would have done it. Um, in, in her last days, when she, her strength was fading, she would take her walker out into her driveway and she would walk circles around her driveway. And everybody would say, well, May, you can't do that. She kept falling. You're getting hurt. Yeah, but I've got to build my strength up so I can go up and down the street and tell people about Jesus in her neighborhood, type of person she was. Unbelievably amazing woman. Just so awesome that I got to know her. And so we were at a, a camp meeting in West Virginia. We have camp meetings. Don't know if you've ever heard of those, but the church I grew up in did. And we, we'd go up into the mountains, and there was a campground and a tabernacle that we would go to. And um, I remember one one uh, week that we were up there, once I had given my life to the Lord and I was a Christian, she had prayed for me my entire life. And um, I thought, you know, she, she went down to pray um, at, the, at the altar up front one day. And I just thought, you know, this is an awesome time for me to get to just go and pray with her and just give back the, some of the prayer that she has given me in my life. And so I just went up and I knelt down beside her and I just put my arm around her and said, Orme, what can I pray for you? Or what, what can we be in prayer together for? And as she turned to me, um, her eyes were, were full of tears, and her face was wet with her tears. And, and she just shared with me that she was just struggling with God's will in her life. At 90-plus at years old, this woman that I thought, you know, Christianity is easy for her. She just, she's got it. She's cruising. You know, she knows what she's doing, but it's still a struggle. We still have to cry out to Jesus and say, come, Lord Jesus, and rescue me. And that's, uh, that's all this song. It's, it's just a prayer um, to sing out to the Lord when we need rescued. Come 
just all I've wanted you to see. Deeper parts of me, won't you come? There is a river running wide and deep, cutting through the soul of every man. From the depths I call to you, bring to life the deeper parts of me. Here, like a mountain, I have stood, hidden at the bottom of the I don't know where my wife is. I could ask her. She would remember better. About 2007, 2008, um, Claire and I got married that year, 2007. We just had our eighth year anniversary. It was 2007. I, I just was trying to remember when we moved, all right? I remember when our anniversary is. Two, I can't hear, but I'm close. I'm close if I'm not right. 2007. Um, we got married, and about six months into that, um, we, she, she was just finishing up her student teaching, and my job situation changed. And so we did what every newlywed couple who have only been married six months want to do. Let's move in with your parents. Right? Everybody wants to do that. Um, so my, my mom and dad, we, we could have stayed where we were, but we had the opportunity to, to be able to kind of make a clean break from where we were. 
And so we, we moved down to, uh, from Virginia to Charlotte, North Carolina, where my parents were living at the time. And um, they took us in. It was awesome. They were wonderful. Um, absolutely enjoyed the adult living time with my parents and being able to create some bonds that are different than when you're a kid. Um, but it was, it was not easy at, at the same time. So we're in my mom and dad's house, and one day, um, I think Claire was working at Cracker Barrel or something and was gone, and I was upstairs, and my dad comes in the front door, and he says, hey, Jason, and I'm, our, our bedroom was upstairs, and I, I come out, and I come to the top of the steps, I was like, hey, dad, what's up? He's like, tomorrow, um, our Sunday school group from church is going to go to the Charlotte Men's Winter Rescue Mission, and we're going to serve, and you're, you and Claire are going to go with us. And I looked at him, and I said, we are, are we? And he didn't ask. He said, he didn't say, do you want to go? He said, you guys are going to go with us. And I was like, all right. Well, the reality is, if my dad would have come in the door and thrown his keys and his coat down and said, hey, Jason, and I'd have come to the top of the steps, and I said, hey, Dad, what? And if he'd have said, do you and Claire want to go to the Charlotte Men's Winter Rescue Mission and serve the homeless tomorrow? I would have said, you know what, Dad? I do. I want to go. But my sock drawer, I mean, I've got, you know, black socks with white socks and green socks with pink socks. I do have some pink socks. Um, my, my thimble collection is getting dusty. I don't have a thimble collection. Just so you know, whatever, I'd have made up some really stupid excuse for not wanting to go because you know what, honestly, it's out of my comfort zone. Can anybody else say that? There are things like that that are out of your comfort zone, things that are good, they are serving, they're doing exactly what God's asking us to do, but we go, oh man, you know, I'm busy. And then we're at home sitting on the couch, twiddling our thumbs. So my dad didn't come in and ask me. He knew me. My dad knows me really well. Jason, you and Claire, you're going to go serve at the Charlotte Men's Winter Rescue Mission. Okay, Dad, we'll be there. So the next day we go, we get into uh, this van at the church, and we're riding over there with all the people from his Sunday school group. And the whole way over there, I am just sweating bullets. I am stressed. Ugh, what am I, you know, what do I say? What do you do? Like, technically, I was homeless at the time, but I had people that would take me in. I had warm shelter and food. And um, so this particular night, it was for Charlotte in the wintertime. It was extremely cold. It was in the single digits for um, the temperature. And so we go, we get there, and as soon as we walk in the door, I see we're the first group there to serve for the night. So I'm like, yes. And I start scanning this room out. It's about the size of this room. And I'm looking, I'm looking, what job can I do where I don't have to interact that much? And back in the back corner, I see this door that's like a Dutch door. You know those, where they open up like half of them. And it's this Dutch door, and it says toiletries over it. And so I, I, I am thinking to myself, ooh, I want to get that job where I'm handing out the toiletries, the toothbrushes and the soap and the everything to the guys as they come in. It's like I have a I have a half of a wall in between me and them. That's perfect. All I got to do is just shove my arm out the door and say, here you go. So as soon as that thought came into my, into my brain, my dad, who's standing beside me, throws his arm around my shoulder and says, hey, Bob, the guy that runs it, hey, Bob, this is my son, Jason. He wants to sign guys in tonight. 
I, I'm telling you right now, my dad knows how my brain works. He saw the cogs turning. He saw the wheels clicking. And he was like, Jason's trying to get out of doing this. And he just threw me under the bus. I got to be the first person these guys see coming in out of the cold. I can't just stand behind a door and, you know, feel like I'm, I'm checking my list of things that I'm supposed to do spiritually and say, you know, hey, I, hey, I served at the mission yesterday. Aren't you proud of me? So I go and I spend the evening at the table and this huge line of guys ended up every night. Um, they have to turn people away. It can only hold so many people. And um, as we, the line was dwindling down, there was a guy near the end that was this just huge, huge black guy. Just he, he had to be six, 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 seven, just big guy. And he had um, this crazy haircut. He had like an, the afro thing going on, but he had half of it shaved off. So I called it a half row. It was, it was really, it was really cool. But the guy was out of his mind. I mean, the guy was crazy. You could just see it. He wasn't all there. He wasn't just somebody who was down on his luck. I mean, the guy had some serious, like, mental problems. It happens. And he, um, I, I was just watching him because he was interesting. And I'm doing my stuff. I'm talking to the guys. But I just kind of keep my eye on him. And he's, he's never interacting with the other guys. He's never looking at them. He's just in his own world. And he makes his way, and he finally gets up to the table. And I have to take their IDs, and I have to, you know, make sure do they have any weapons or knives or anything. They have to give them to me. Um, and so I do all that type of stuff. And he never never looks at me. He just kind of, he knows the drill. He throws the, the ID down on the counter, and I do all the stuff. And when I'm done, I hand it back to him, and I say his name was Joe. I say, Joe, I hope you have a great night. I hope you get a great warm bed and a great warm meal, and that the Lord just blesses you tonight. And I think he's just going to take it and not even pay attention that I was even in the world, take his ID and go on. And, and from this other universe that he lives in, he looks down, towering down at me, and he looks at me with the two most sane, clear eyes that I've ever seen. And he says, thank you for serving me. And then he's back in his own world and he's gone. Now, I, every time, every time I tell this story, I get goosebumps every time because honestly, in my opinion, whether you believe me or not, I was staring into the eyes of Jesus that night. Jesus came into that place, and he said to me, you wimpy little whatever, so-and-so, that, that can always find a reason not to do what I ask. See what you do when you serve the least of these. And Scripture tells us, whatever you do, whether you gave me... Um, a warm meal, whether you held the door for me at the gas station, whether you smiled at me when I was your waitress, whether you um, went and served me, whether you came and gave me a blanket on a cold night so I wouldn't freeze to death, you've done that to me. That's serious business, right? Amen? So that night, um, I could not wait to get home. God was just all over me. Um, for who I had been, who I am, who I still am. It's still out of my comfort zone. But this song is probably one of the most quickly written songs that I've ever written, and it's a song called Unlovely Ones.
Turn your eyes away from his broken, dirty face, the face of the homeless son. And we pretend he's not there. We act like a face has no name. Unlovely ones, unlovely ones. Can you see there's more than a all the world as a child chalk this one up as a loss decide that she's not worth the cost unlovely one unlovely one
As we kind of um, draw to a close this morning, um, this song is a song that I want um, you guys to kind of listen to. We've actually sung it here before, but it's been, I don't know, four or five months ago. Um, it's a song called Peace, and I wrote the song in a time in my life where I was under great duress, and I was just crying out to God for peace. I just needed it. I just had this big, huge ball of anxiety that was just forcing its way outward in my chest. And I went and I sat down, and I, and I was trying to write a song about peace really out of anger. And it's not really a good formula for that. And so I kept trying, and I probably had 25 or 30 pieces of wadded up paper that I was just, you know, this is just horrible. What am I doing? Come on, Lord, I need peace. I want to write a song about it. Let me do it. All that type of stuff. And so at, at, at one point, the Lord just, just said, stop. Just shut up. Be quiet. Be still. You're not going to find peace looking at the world. You're not going to find peace on the news. You're not going to find peace in the way you vote. You're not going to find peace in who you're married to. You're, you're not going to find peace anywhere out here. You're going to find peace right here. And when I share this, this song, I like to, to intro it with this um, sermon illustration. I do not know if this is a real illustration. It's an illustration I heard, but it works perfectly. Years and years and years ago, there was a king, and he had his kingdom, and it was in a great, great time of peace. And he wanted to have um, a piece of artwork commissioned to display throughout the kingdom that represented the peace that the kingdom was in at that time. And so he, he had three different artists come, and he said, I want each of you to paint your version of peace. And whichever one I think is the best, it's what I'm going to choose. I'm going to display it throughout the kingdom for all to see. So the three painters, they go away. They paint their paintings. They come back the day that it's time to unveil them. And the first, it's a painting of, of a beautiful grassy field full of wildflowers. The sun is shining brightly. There's puffy white clouds. The birds are flying in the air. Peaceful, right? The next was this, this beautiful lake in the mountains, and the lake didn't have a ripple on it. There wasn't a wind, and it was just glass, and it was reflecting the mountains. It was reflecting the blue sky and the sunshine. It seemed pretty peaceful. The third was a picture, and it was, and it was dark and gray, and it was full of storm clouds, and it was this giant waterfall that was coming down the river and cascading over the rocks and crashing hundreds of feet below into turmoil and, and, and royal, and, and just it, there was just nothing about the picture that looked peaceful. It wasn't bright, it wasn't happy, it wasn't cheery, but that's the painting that the king chose to display throughout the kingdom because behind the waterfall in the cleft of the rock, there was a bird's nest, and in the bird's nest was a mother bird with her baby birds, and they were, they were safe and they were content. And they were able to live in the middle of all that turmoil. That's the world we live in. If you're looking for that happy picture, we get it every once in a while. We go on the hikes up in the mountains, and it's pretty, and it's peaceful. But then we got to come back down, right? And our world is more like that tumultuous waterfall. 
we have to find our peace in Jesus Christ. So this song, as we sing it, the, the chorus is extremely simple. Um, if, if you can't learn it or pick it up, come up to me afterwards and I'll like hit you in the head because something's probably wrong with you. It just says, hallelujah to Jesus, hallelujah to Jesus, hallelujah to Jesus who brings me peace. And so as I sing this song and you hear that chorus, um, sing it with me. I know you won't, the words aren't going to be up here. I just told you what they are. Really simple. I've been brought upon my knees. I've been broken, bruised, and beat as I search for anything. Bring my broken heart freely. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus who brings me peace. I have found a steady place full of mercy, love, and grace. In the midst of troubled seas, it is well my heart shall sing. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus who brings me peace. Hallelujah. Shows me all the hate of man. There is one who takes my life, brings the peace of Jesus Christ. Stand and sing, Hallelujah, Jesus, Hallelujah, Jesus, Hallelujah, Jesus.
Let's just sing one last song together. He took my sins and my sorrows. He took my sins and my sorrows, and he made them his very And bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall our voices singing how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous oh how wonderful is my Savior's love for me is my Savior's love for me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for um, Jason's life and for his commitment to serve you and love you and to listen to you um, when you call out to him. I pray that um, the different lessons or different words that each person was spoken to this morning, Lord, that as they leave this place, um, that it would resonate in their hearts and that they would just continue to seek after you and serve you. As the very first song said, let our lives be for your glory. Let everything we do um, be about praising you and worshiping you. Thank you for our time together. Um, thank you for this church and this um, community of believers. Lord, I just pray that we would work to serve and love you um, in everything we do, both here in church and then when we're outside in our community. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.